Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing this week, Adam? I'm doing all right. I had a weird thing happen to me earlier. Oh, yeah? My wife picked me up for dinner. She uh, she thought she'd do a little drive-by, came by the house, picked me up, and we went out to got, get a quick bite to eat. And when I got in the car, I heard my voice playing. In the radio, <laughs> because she was listening to our latest episode of The Greatest yeah. Generation. Ben, I gotta say, uh, it was weird as hell to hear my own voice in the car like that. Yeah. And I think that means good things for our relationship. <laughs> we may not be as on the rocks as I imagined we would be as a result of this show. My parents were uh, taking a road trip recently, and... My dad said that he, uh, my mom played him a couple of episodes of the two podcasts that I co-host. And You're talking, um, of course, about this podcast and Let's Drink About It. Yes. And uh, as far as I could tell, uh, my dad didn't seem to have a strong sense of the distinction between the two shows. <laughs> he, said, he said, it's very funny and, uh, and you and your co-host have great rapport. And uh, and then said a string of things that were like references to things that happen in both shows. And I couldn't tell whether he was like actually drawing a distinction about it being two separate pieces of IP. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, such a boy, dad move. What a great crossover show that would be. <laughs> Let's drink yeah. about Star Trek. May happen one day. Who knows? We'll have to see if we can get in touch with the people involved. Yeah, I think we know those guys. Yeah. So uh, up on the pod today, we have season two, episode two, Where Silence Has Lease. It is the guiding principle of a dark lady face. Have you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. So this, uh, this episode starts with Picard kind of pacing around the bridge, really nervous. And uh, just looking super awkward. He's acting nervous because uh, because Riker is doing holodeck with Worf. <laughs> <laughs> and if you weren't seeing what was happening inside, you might yeah. you might expect that uh, this is Riker doing sex practice again. Right. But but no, he's he's a tourist in one of Worf's programs, which is basically a fucking death match. Yeah. Scene, right? Yeah. I have to say the uh exterior sets have really get gotten kicked up a notch in this uh second season. I mean, if this was season 1, we would be looking at a very small sound stage with like some gray dirt and some gray styrofoam rocks strewn around it and a psych with like a way too intense color lit up against it yeah something that a that a uh laser tag uh warehouse would put to shame yeah and this is like a pretty plausible jungle with like rusted out ruins in it and it's like a video game you know like they find a weapon under a under a stair and then like these terrifying 
death beasts come out and start fighting them. One of them is like skull face monster, and the other is like a axe wielding turtle kind of guy. Yeah, and they are giant. They're like yeah. superhero giant, and they're real strong, and they're like winging shit at them. It's great. Yeah, it's like a pretty kick-ass fight scene. Yeah, and they're like doing real choreographed fight moves, like compound fight sequences. There's a great moment where Riker like sees that Worf is about to have somebody come up behind him and he jumps onto a pipe and like swings down and kicks the guy in the face. <laughs> and they like barely make it through. And then and Riker's like, well, that was uh, that was pretty tough. And Worf is like, that was nothing. Like, I wouldn't show you what, what I do when I'm in here alone. And uh, I feel like Riker's like, yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a moment where I feel like they both picked up where they were putting down. Like, yeah. like where where fighting is involved, no one can ever know my secret. Where right. sex holodeck is involved, uh, no one can ever know Rikers. So, yeah. This whole scene R- made Worf. me think, like, like in the way that you hear about some people dying by autoerotic asphyxiation, like that <laughs> happens. That happens, and that'll yeah. make the news. How many people do you think are dying on the holodeck due to sex-related deaths? <laughs> That's going to be the number one cause of death on a holodeck, I think. At one point, Worf turns to uh, to Riker and says that uh, the the maximum settings that he likes to go for. Those sessions are too personal to be shared. I feel like Riker might as well have just said, I feel like you took the words right out of my mouth, Worf. <laughs> I'm not used to being in here with clothes. <laughs> yeah, so that constitutes the cold open, and I think, I think the way that a bottle episode is like a self-contained storyline in and of itself, yeah. I think this is one of the rare, if only times up until now, that this was like a bottle cold open. Like nothing yeah. about this has anything to do with the episode to come. I mean, it like it plays in a little bit when Worf you know, expresses some feelings about the adventure that they get into, but not really. Like, you could really have put almost anything in here and the episode would have felt about the same. But it was a fun little, uh, it was a fun little sequence. Yeah, I like the idea of Worf having a a karate dojo where he just goes and kicks some ass every day. Yeah. They show up on the bridge and um, there's some, some, uh, some scanning going on and... The Enterprise has detected an area of space where nothing is detectable. And uh, somebody describes it as like a hole in space. And you can see, see Riker's ears perk up a little bit. <laughs> Riker's interested in any kind of hole that they might discover. He wants to explore all the holes. That's why he's there. He just wants to get up into some warm nebula. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rocking that neb. Uh, <laughs> They do a lot of like... Uh, I just can never find the neutron star, though. <laughs> they do a lot of zoom in, enhance, zoom in, enhance on this area of nothingness. And um, it just keeps being nothing. So they get a little closer. They start shooting probes at it, and the probes just disappear. And um, Wesley... Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son suggests that uh, because they know where the where the probes disappear, they can start to kind of chart the uh, the edges of this phenomenon. 
but it's really confounding them because it seems to be nothing like they can't detect any energy patterns or gravity or any matter of any kind, but also it occludes whatever is behind it. So it's just a stone cold mystery. Yeah. They, they can see it and that's the only reason they know it's there. It's not measurable. Right. And eventually they get up real close to it and, uh, it kind of goes like, and, uh, and they are suddenly inside of this phenomenon. Yeah. It's kind of a tense scene because they weren't expecting that. Uh, so they, they stick around a little bit. They, they sort of do their sensor scan from inside the void. Uh, they are sweeping away on those sensors. It was unexpected, but they're not freaked out by it at this point. So they finish their scan and then they're like, all right, well, let's get on our way. So they, uh, they turn around and head head back to where they're going, and they aren't going anywhere. No, like, yeah, they like go they, a bunch they, of parsecs. The engines, the engines read that they're they're working. They their uh, instruments are telling them that they're traveling a certain distance, but yeah. uh, they have not left this cloud. So they, uh, I think they try dropping like a a buoy that just pings essentially. And yeah, they, this is uh, a great idea. I think. Yeah, and so they they like they gun it heading directly away from this buoy, and uh, it gives you the, the ice cream truck effect too. Like you yeah, hear the, it, and then you hear its Doppler effect as it as it goes away. Like it gets quiet and quiet and warped. The beacon is in place, sir. Dead ahead, impulse power. The beacon is falling astern, Captain. Engineering report. All systems functioning normally, sir. Which doesn't make any sense in the void of space, but I thought it was great sound design. Like, I guess yeah, I, yeah. I think the computer is probably providing that for them because it's right. it's like it's design, you know. It's like uh, it's something that the human ear can can quickly extrapolate what's going on. But uh, no sooner has it dropped out of audible range than it's Dopplering up in front of them, and uh, they they put a scan on it and they they realize that they are literally going in circles, but they have no way of uh, not going in circles. They are trapped inside this thing. Yeah, at this point, shit gets real. Like, they're stuck in the corn maze. Yep. And uh, they are stuck in the corn maze with a Romulan warbird. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. 
A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So they do that thing where they detect a cloaked ship and then immediately they jump to the conclusion that it's Romulans. They never jump to the conclusion that it might be Klingons. No, no, they don't. So this this uh, this bird of prey uncloaks, this bird of prey decloaks, and it just lights him up like it starts shooting right at him immediately. Yeah, and the Enterprise returns fire and blows it up like real easily. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if the Romulans were that easy to take down? And immediately this like raises Picard's suspicions. He's up out of his chair and he's like, "Well, that was too easy. What the hell? Doesn't make any goddamn sense." Oh. No, so they they recover from that strange situation, and a moment later, uh, another ship appears, and it's a ship that looks just like the Enterprise. NCC 1305-E. It's the Yamato, our sister ship. You familiar with the name Yamato? Uh, I know a guy named Andrew Yamato, but uh, that's uh, that's my only association with it, other than the sister ship of the Enterprise. Well, uh, I have this down cold. Like, I didn't even do research on this. Um, but the Yamato was a battleship built by the Japanese Navy during World War II. Cool. It had the largest guns of any warship of its of its time. Like, it Whoa. was stacked. <laughs> and it was so stacked that uh, 
it made such a tasty target for the allies that they just concentrated all of their fire onto it. And uh, the captain of the, the Yamato ended up grounding the ship into an island to keep it afloat and to use it as as a platform for these giant guns. So like, Damn. rather than sinking the ship, he's like, nah, like, like we're keeping these guns up out of the water and we're going to keep using them. So that's, that's a pretty badass move. Yeah. Great name for a ship with that kind of history, I think. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so the Yamato is just sitting there, not replying to Hales and, uh, Riker and Worf go, go beam over to, uh, poke around and, it's a it's a ghost ship. There's nobody on board. It's a mini Dustbuster Club too, right? The Dustbuster Auxiliary. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Dustbuster Cocktail Kit. Yeah. They start like uh, tricordering, and they realize that it's like not quite made out of the same stuff that the Federation makes ships out of, and they think it's like a little bit more advanced, even maybe. Well, well, they hit up O'Brien before beaming over, and they're like, "Hey, put us on the bridge. We don't know what's over there." Yeah. Oh, yeah. I and the heard. idea is, is like, you know, they aren't getting any life signs over there, but there could be. So <laughs> yeah. let, let's get the jump on them by beaming up to the bridge. Let's be careful. So, and uh, O'Brien's like, yeah, I got that. It's not a big deal at all. So he beams them over, and sure enough, they end up in different parts of the ship, way away from the bridge. Yeah. And uh, and it's creepy as fuck. Like, there, there's great sound design here. Where I, I feel like this is like... The kind of sound design where you're like, is this a sound that they are hearing or is it like creepy music or kind of a combination of the two? Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's really and it's, effective. It's lit all strange. It's got that haunted house vibe of yeah. of a place that looks sort of familiar, but things are off about it. Yeah. I think they changed the color of the carpet or something. So there's just like lots of little things where you're like, it feels a little wrong. Yeah. And uh, eventually there's a, a scream and Riker comes running and Worf comes running the other way. And, and uh, you know, briefly they think that they're going to accidentally shoot each other. But uh, I guess Worf heard Riker and Riker heard Worf. So they set off to kind of explore around this ship and it just doesn't make any sense. Like they'll get off the turbo lift where they think one thing is going to be and it's another it's a corn maze inside a corn maze. And eventually they're on the bridge and they open one of the doors and they're like looking in at another bridge, which is a really well done effect. Cause I like, I don't think that they built two bridges just for this one scene. So I don't quite know how they even achieved this, but it looks great. Yeah. It, it definitely looks real. And it's not like the two bridges or are, are, are parallel side by side like you'll open up the bridge to you'll open up the turbo lift door to the uh to like the battle bridge for instance and it'll open up the conference room door like yeah things aren't lining up like even yeah. if you were trying to put two bridges together they wouldn't line up like this yeah and so Worf and Riker are like getting confused they're like wait if you go in there and I stay here then you'll be on the bridge but I'll be on the bridge and what does that mean man yeah, and they, like, Worf will be in one bridge looking into the other, and he'll see himself. Like, they're seeing each other. Like, it's 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 a real mindfuck, I think. Yeah. And Worf is getting pissed. Like, yeah. he's not handling this well at all. No, this is he's not He's kind of his... falling apart here. Yeah. You know, he, he, he likes a, an enemy that he, can, that he can see and axe to death. Right. 
So part of the problem is uh, they've lost communication with the Enterprise. And meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Picard is becoming flustered because he can't beam him back. O'Brien yeah. can't get a transporter lock. Picard wants to get him home uh, because there's... It, it looks like there's an opportunity to escape this thing. Like there's a little a, rift opens in the in the side of the the nothing, and the, there's stars visible on the other yeah. side. I mean, we're we're back on the Enterprise bridge, and something is out of place, something strange, and uh, that person is, as a man will know, as Haskell, who's sitting at the con. Yeah, who's a big red shirt. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. So the tease is is like these holes are opening up, but Picard's not going to leave Worf and Riker on the Yamato. Like he can't just he's got a chance to leave the cloud, and he's not taking it. So they just barely get their transporters back in time because the Yamato starts to like fade out of existence, and they uh, they manage to bring Riker and Worf back aboard like just before it blinks out entirely and they start heading for one of these exits and then it closes and then another one reopens so they like point the ship at that and try and go for that and they keep like increasing the amount of warp speed they're going to use to get to this exit and uh it keep you know it's just a, it's a shell game it's uh there's no actual escape available to them and they're starting to articulate that they're being fucked with at this point like yeah. like what the hell yeah Picard realizes that there is there is a uh, a mischievous intelligence behind this this shit, and I feel like I would have assumed that it was Q if I was in Picard's shoes. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This seems very Q-ish. Yeah, this is Q's seems like MO. something Q would do. Except Q would want to take the credit. Like he's he's got the vanity aspect. Yeah. I think he'd reveal himself before now. So I think it was maybe Pulaski that suggests that they are like rats in a maze. And uh, that sort of triggers the appearance of this entity called Nagilum, which is uh, looks like a uh, they've like cut holes for eyes, a nose, and a mouth in like a swim cap and stretched it against the guy's face. Yeah, it looks like uh, if someone went Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the chaotic bro guy and just pulled his <laughs> face over over a regular face. Yeah. That's what he looks like. It looks real warped and weird, like a like a circus mirror depiction of a of a person. Yeah. Of a person's face. But it's just a giant face that's like floating in the void that's visible on their view screen. Yeah. And uh I think Jordy's got it right when he says, That guy's super ugly. Sensors show nothing out there. Absolutely nothing. Sure is a damned ugly nothing. Yeah, the blind guy says that. Yeah, taking a uh, taking a card out of the micro brain playbook, Jordy, yeah. in making first contact with an alien intelligence, goes ugly motherfucker. Yeah, real tasteful explorers, this crew. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Degilum uh, is definitely just running some experiments on them. He's got some questions like uh, like what's that, and he's sort of looking at Pulaski. You're different. You are. Uh, you're not like the rest of this bridge crew. So he basically, uh, he basically openly questions the gender bias uh, of the bridge crew appointment because he says uh, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. And then Pulaski explains that she is a female, uh, the the gender counterpoint to the male crew people. 
And uh, she goes on to explain that, well, that's that's how we procreate. We, you get one of me and you get one of them and, and we make babies. Yeah. And, and the Gillum's like, cool, let's see. <laughs> Let her rip. And Pulaski's like, uh, for a lot of reasons, that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> and Picard's like, we don't do shit like that, man. We're in a classy operation here. I mean, I don't know what Riker does in his spare time, but this is a... Yeah. Picard's like, we don't do that in public. Riker's like, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a little contentious. Yeah. But Nagilam basically uh, announces that the thing that he's most curious about is the fact that the people aboard this ship are limited in that they will eventually cease to exist. So... Because he wants to uh, explore this idea further, uh, he is going to cease to exist anywhere from a third to a half of the crew over the next little bit. And Picard's not having it. He's like, uh, well, if that's what you're going to try and do, we're going to blow the ship up. Right. And we know Nagilam is serious about this because he looks at Haskell at the con and Haskell gets into convulsions yeah. And, and and spazzes out in the middle of the bridge. And it's Nagilum's, a really intense performance. Yeah. Nagilam's like, well, there's basically a couple hundred ways to die. I'd like to see what all of those are like. Yeah. He, he, he's, uh, Starting with poor Haskell. He, does, he doesn't break into his like fake Rasta patois and go, there's six million ways to die. <laughs> Riker's like, I volunteer to die by sex. <laughs> Can I just volunteer for that? Yeah. Uh, I got dibs. R- Riker's like, you know, I'm very familiar with the little death, but what's up with that big death? Just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic, hypnotic, hypnotic. Picard decides to blow up the ship again. Uh, for yeah. the second time in two seasons, he goes to engineering with Riker and is like, this shit will not stand. This will yeah. not stand, man. Let's blow up the ship rather than watch half of the crew die. And uh, it seems like they've made it slightly more complicated to set the ship to blow up, but not much. Like, they basically go, blow up the ship. Yeah, I agree. How much time do we want to set? Uh, 20 minutes? Sounds good. That is such, like, that scene and the scene before it are just outrageous to me. So they (laughs) they have a meeting in the conference room to discuss what their plan of action is. And Worf is like, uh, this guy promised us, like, between 30 and 50% casualties. And he's like, that's well within the acceptable limits. I have so many questions. <laughs> based, what, what are the acceptable limits? Like, where is that in the manual? Yeah, like are those Worf's personal limits for casualties? Like that's that's an amount he can live with? Because I have a really hard time believing that that a Federation ship is pretty okay with with half of their crew dying <laughs> on a given mission yeah. in a circumstance like this. I thought that was that was unbelievable to me. That's not even how many people died in D-Day, right? I mean, like, that's a that's an insanely high margin. And of all people, like, Worf is the one that goes like, yeah, let's not fight this. Like, let's let him kill half of them. Let's yeah. let him kill half of the people on the ship. I think that, that'll work for me. Well, you know, Worf's got a... Uh, he's like, he's looking at his odds. He's like, hey, this might be a real honorable death for me. 
I so guess. how can I uh, how can I look askance at this opportunity? So Picard is like, yeah, we're gonna blow up the ship. He he grabs Riker. They go to engineering, and they're trying to work out the length of time. That's right. that's a that's a an amount of time that you know efficiently blows up the ship without 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 too much time going by. Like we don't want right. to set the destruct sequence for a couple of days from now because. This is this experiment's going to begin at any moment, and it's going to get ugly and stinky around here real fast. Yeah, you want to you want to be able to record your Tasha Yar hollow uh, eulogy. But yeah, and they're like they're like, well, we need to give some people a respectful amount of time to sort of take care of their affairs. Rager's right. like twenty minutes. How's twenty minutes sound? <laughs> Picard's like, sure, done. And done. that is that is literally the only conversation about it. Like <laughs> like, how much time? How about twenty? All right. Good enough for me. Wow. That's a nice round number. I thought that was pretty cold. 20 minutes. Yeah. What do you think the uh, line for the holodeck is like after that word gets out? Yeah. You've got 20 minutes to burn, man. Probably yeah. going to do it in there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Picard retires to his quarters and is having a nice hang sesh, listen to some classical music, and Troy and Data come in and... Basically, uh, get real cash with the captain and start questioning his wisdom in in uh, setting this self destruct order, and uh, it's it's like a pretty intense conversation until Picard realizes that something's up with them, and um, he realizes that uh, they are in fact also illusions presented by Nagilam to kind of toy with him and experiment with his with his reasoning. So. Yeah, he knows something's up because they're calling him by his first name. Right. And they're being very emphatic. They're like, don't do it. Our lives have worth. You're making the bad choice here. And that's something that's pretty out of character for both of them. Right, and it's not like they don't ever disagree with him, but the way they're disagreeing with him is weird. Yeah, so Picard gets on the horn with the computer and he's like, hey, where's Data? And he's looking right at Data. The computer's like, Data's on the bridge. (laughs) And yeah. he, and then he and then he gives Data and Troy the uh, the fuck yeah look like uh huh I'm on to you assholes yeah try again and so they just sort of uh, turn into a cloud and disappear yeah and you wonder why Nagilam didn't rig up the uh, the computer to uh, perpetuate his illusion but I guess it's just it's it's part of it's all part of that experiment that this all powerful being is is doing I wonder if Q knows about Nagilam I mean he must right. I wonder if they're related. Boy, I think I think Q really lucked out in the looks department. Yeah, that's the case. Nagilam is like the inbred Q that they keep out in the barn of the yeah. continuum. So Picard goes back to the bridge, and the void is just like suddenly gone. And they're looking at stars on the view screen, and the ship is still counting down, and it gets damn close to to going off when Picard. Tells the computer to stand down the uh, the self destruct order. The computer asks if Riker agrees. Riker kind of overdoes it in agreeing. Do you concur? Yes, absolutely. I do indeed concur wholeheartedly. Auto destruct canceled. Simple yes would have sufficed. Number one. This <laughs> is a really like He's weird, very emphatic. Yeah, weird moment to like drop in like a kind of a comedic take. <laughs> like, yeah, oh. seconds away from certain death. Yeah, 
But I guess Picard was kind of waiting it out to see if the void just randomly reappeared because it's sort of like all you can expect at this point from Nagilam. And it seems too easy, right? Like the yeah. thing that gets Nagilam to give up is is Picard kicking fake Troy and fake Data out of his quarters. Like at that point, uh, they're out of the cloud. That does right. it. Yeah. And so they uh, they head off and uh, continue whatever it was they were doing. And Picard goes into his ready room and uh, on the laptop screen, Nagilam appears and uh, and does a kind of classic uh, super condescending advanced alien assessment of human culture, which... They should be used to this by now. Strongly echoes some of the things that Q said in episode one. Right. Picard points out to Nagilam that... Uh, it uh, is curious about the universe and the races in it, and that's why it was running that experiment, and that's sort of the Enterprise's raison d'etre, so they are not so dislike him and he. Clearly. And that's it. Yeah, that's uh, the whole thing was one big charade. It's a really simple episode. There's just like, there's like not really a B storyline of any kind. It's just, uh, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. They try this, it works, and they're done. Yeah, I feel like if you're writing an episode like this, this is like the whole, the ship is stuck in quicksand episode. There's about, I mean, there's dozens of different versions of of this story, but... The ship gets stuck, and they got to yeah. get out. And it's like, it's the second episode in a row that's a, we encountered a weird object in space that's making shit crazy on the Enterprise. Yeah, it's less uh, less character development and more uh, conflict with exterior motivations. External threat thing, yeah. External threats is a more grammatically correct way to say what I said. <laughs> That it is, Adam. That it is. Uh, I'm the inbred host uh, outside in the Continuum's barn. Ben, did you come across a drunk Shimoda in this episode? Drunk Shimoda! I was going to say it was Dr. Pulaski, but I think it's actually Data. Because when Pulaski comes up on the bridge when they're first uh, scanning at this thing before they get enveloped, Pulaski is just being like brazenly brazenly bigoted about data i mean like i think this is the episode where she calls him data a couple of times and he's like that's not my name data is my name data is something else and she's a real stone cold mean mean spirited jerk with uh, she's got racist grandma vibes yeah seriously she's she's real set in her ways as uh, as as they say and (laughs) there's just a scene on the bridge where she's like slinging insults at him and they just keep cutting to Brent Spiner kind of like tilting his head like hearing like clearly hearing it but choosing not to say anything back and I just thought it was so funny it was like it was uh it was a great little performance and I felt like uh I feel like you know Jim Shimoda's a uh a fun-loving dude he's not he's not like gonna engage people by stooping to their level he's just gonna you know he's gonna let them let them bury them you know dig their own grave yeah, it's just about rising above it, having a good time. Yeah, making making a Jenga set out of the isolinear chips, you know? <laughs> Trunk Shimoda is named after our favorite character from episode two. 
Uh, we assign Drunk Shimoda as an award for uh, someone in the episode who is having the most fun or doing something really strange or weird. My Drunk Shimoda nomination is for Haskell, our red-shirted bridge crewman who we meet for the <laughs> first time and then say goodbye to moments later. I yeah. feel like if you're the actor playing Haskell and... I mean, you're you're a bit actor. Like he's got he's got his one line. Like it's got to be so exciting to you read your part in the script. You see, oh shit! Like it's just one line, but then you see that you have a really awesome death scene where you just get to yeah. overact the shit out of it. Yep. I feel like oh, what a great day on the set for him. Like he gets to fake his own he gets death to, ten like, times. Strongly disagree with something that the captain says, and then buy the farm. Yeah, in a big way. Yeah, great day for him. Like I, I feel like you're watching a man die on screen, but I feel like he's having a lot of fun in the process. So yeah, uh, for that reason, Mr. Haskell is my drunk Shimoda. Nice one. Damok Angelad at Tanaga. Damok Angelad at Tanaga. Uh, what do we have coming up on our next episode? Our next episode is another real iconic one. It's elementary, dear Data. Pretending to be Sherlock Holmes, Data Vito, uses a Vito, Vito. <laughs> Data uses the holodeck to solve a mystery <laughs> that threatens Dr. Pulaski's life. Uh, How can you veto this one, Adam? Oh God, I, I, Do you seriously want to veto right now? The fucking pipe, really? The Sherlock Holmes thing? But it's like, uh, I mean, Moriarty... He's got the like lever in the holodeck simulation of old London that somehow like makes the ship rock back and forth. Look, I don't remember any of this, okay? All I have to go on is this pipe and it's Sherlock <laughs> Holmes. Look, I look, I'm not going to veto, but I mean, it's only because the seasons are so long. I feel like I should keep that in the back pocket. So as uh, close well, to doing yeah. it as ever. But I'm glad I was able to talk you out of it, Adam, because I would never veto this episode. <laughs> never, ever. It's an episode that gets called back much later in the series in a in a way that I think is really interesting. So it would be a real shame to, to just walk past this one. All right, let's do it. You know, I think that one of my favorite things about doing this podcast, Adam, is getting to interact with all of our listeners on Twitter. They're using the hashtag GreatestGen to uh, send us mock-ups of t-shirt ideas that we come up with from right. yeah. episodes and continue jokes, point out jokes that we we missed, which is, you know, I always feel like there's so much comedy that we pass over in each episode that people are like, hey, why didn't you guys talk about this? And I'm like, oh my God, it, we're insane for not having talked about that. Uh, so that's really fun. Go on, uh, go on Twitter, use the hashtag GreatestGen and joke around with us. You could follow Adam at CutForTime. And you can follow me at Benjamin R. A-H-R. And you can also go to gach.biz and send us an email from there. I think it's drunkshimoda at gmail.com. That's right. Thanks, as always, to Dark Materia, who is the creator of our theme music and our interstitial music. Uh, you can find yeah. the Picard song just about everywhere online. Yeah, just Google it. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Good yep. pod, Ben. Good pot, Adam. We will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and, you know, a passable at best episode of The Greatest Generation. We're doing our best. Captain.